0: And I'm Scott, and, and we, we are Fired Up, Ready to Podcast! Hello listeners, welcome to episode 20 of the podcast.
1: 20, woohoo! woo-hoo. All right, well, there's much to talk about this week. We've got local issues. We've got Trump issues. We've got 2020 candidate issues. So let's not muck around and get to it. And now, domestic Trump troubles.
0: This week, rather than focusing on what has recently transpired, we are giving a preview of what we have to look forward to in the coming days. First, on Tuesday, House Democrats are planning to pass a resolution disapproving of President Trump's national emergency declaration and his repurposing of money for a wall. Mm. If it passes, <clears throat> Dems are now in the majority, it will automatically go to the Senate, where Mitch McConnell will be powerless to shield his fellow Republicans from voting on whether to abdicate the power of the purse conferred on the legislative branch by no less than the Constitution to the executive branch. So this would essentially be a vote <laughs> of the Senate to render themselves a useless body that could at any time in the future have its own will subjugated to that of the president. Mm. Now, for his part, Trump today warned the Republicans against, quote, falling into the Democratic trap of open borders and crime. Oh, dear God. oh it's a trap, all right, but not that one. Okay, number two, Trump is meeting with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un this week, which the president has been prepping for by tamping down expectations. Huh. His aspiration, <coughs> according to Washington Post reporter David Nakaruma, Nakamura, pardon me, uh, Washington Post reporter David Nakamura.
1: Gesundheit.
0: Thank you. Is to create an international spectacle that would draw attention away from his troubles back home. But good luck with that, Donald, because what's going on back home? Well, number three, Trump's longtime attorney, Michael Cohen, is testifying before an open session of Representative Elijah Cummings House Oversight Committee. That's what. And even though Cohen will not be at liberty to discuss his many hours of conversations with the special counsel, this guy knows as much, if not more, about Trump and his lifetime of shenanigans than Trump does himself. (laughs) And there will be no overshadowing that spectacle.
1: I can hardly wait. Can't we all? I might have to call in sick. <laughs> and
0: speaking of the special counsel, number four is uh, Robert Mueller's report, which is expected any day now. Now, speculation... Well, they
1: said it's not coming this week, though. They announced last Friday that it would not be coming this week.
0: This is breaking news as you listen. <laughs> Keep up. Regardless of when it comes out, the speculation is why, that it will not itself contain indictments against Trump, but that its findings on Russian collusion to influence the 2018 collection, election will shed enough light on other transgressions. The prosecutors, notably of the South Southern District of New York, will have a roadmap with which to investigate potential crimes involving Trump's endeavors, if not the president himself. Of course, there's no guarantee that the report will be seen by the public, but... House Intelligence Committee Chair Representative Adam Schiff has declared that he will subpoena the report and Mueller himself if uh, new Attorney General Robert Barr's summary to Congress of Mueller's report is deemed insufficiently detailed. So we are going to know. Last on my list is uh, this week, Paul Manafort's defense team is to release its memo to the D.C. Circuit offering recommended sentencing. Sentencing guidelines. Thank you. Days, this is just days after Mueller dropped its uh, sentencing guidelines in the form of an 800-page memo. Uh, Mueller's recommendations included uh, that a stiff stiff sentence be handed out, uh, and it, quote, highlighted Manafort's bold criminal actions and extensive pattern of deceit that, quote, remarkably went unabated even after indictment, end quote.
1: Well, and I think it was Mimi Roca, but I'm not sure. But it was some prosecutor was saying in, in response to this that they'd never heard of a case mm-hmm. where there were zero mitigating factors. None. And that's what the Mueller's team had said. There were no mitigating factors. Throw the book at this guy.
0: 800 pages of no mitigating factors. <laughs> In truth, the memo itself was only 25 pages. The 800 pages were all exhibits.
1: It's just a pattern of criminality that that is stunning. He wouldn't know how to not be a criminal. That's what it sounds like. Well, we shall see. We shall. I have the best people. I have the best people. I have the best people.
0: Believe me.
1: As you may remember, Trump assured us all that He knew the best people. The best people. And he would have nothing but the best people surrounding him. And so in that vein, I'd like to highlight a couple of Trump's friends who've made the news this week in very colorful ways. Okay. The Washington Post reports, a federal judge in Florida ruled this week that prosecutors, led by former U.S. attorney Alexander Acosta now President Trump's labor secretary, broke the law 11 years ago by concealing an unusually lenient plea deal with billionaire sex offender Jeffrey Epstein from underage girls who said the billionaire had molested them. In the 33-page opinion, Mara, the Florida judge, wrote that Acosta's team, quote, misled the girls, in s- some as young as 14, into thinking that the government would continue to investigate, even though they had closed the case. Mm. Evidence showed that Epstein, 66, ran an international sex trafficking operation that targeted girls and sometimes brought this, them stateside from overseas. The sentencing guidelines would have landed Epstein in jail for life. But instead, he served 13 months in a county jail. He was regularly granted work release, which allowed him to swap a cell for his plush West Palm Beach office (gasps) for 12-hour stretches. So basically, he showed up at his convenience in the evening to sleep in the county jail. And Epstein was proud of his collection of famous friends, Mm. which included Bill Clinton and Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. There's been much speculation that some of Epstein's friends may have participated in his abuses. Prior to the accusation, Trump was quoted as saying about Epstein in the past, I've known Jeff... Oh, sorry. Quote, I've known Jeff for 15 years. Terrific guy. He's a lot of fun to be with. I bet. It's even said that he likes beautiful women as much as I do, and many of them are on the younger side. Oh. Unquote. Wow. What a peach. Vanity Fair reports another friend of Trump's who goes way back and has spent a lot of time with him at Mar-a-Lago, is Robert Kraft, mm. who is also owner of the New England Patriots. He now faces charges in a prostitution sting connected to Florida spas. The Juniper police chief, Daniel Kerr, said, quote, Our concern is this investigation centers around the possibility of victims of human trafficking. Oh. Unquote. So we have another friend uh, who's wrapped up in, Same I guess, so. human trafficking. Okay. Political reports, President Donald Trump said Friday, it's, quote, very sad, unquote, that his friend was charged. <laughs> quote, it's very sad. I was very surprised to see it, unquote. He told reporters, quote, He's proclaimed his innocence totally, but I'm very surprised to see it," unquote. What kind of sleazy, despicable people is the president of the United States surrounding himself with and wow. surrounded himself with? <clears throat> These aren't your average douchebags. <laughs> These are the scum of the scum. And boy, he sure knows how
0: to uh, put out an unwavering condemnation of
1: Oh, them. I know. Doesn't he? Doesn't he, though? Oh, he's surprised. Yeah. Huh? Really? No question where he stands on the issues. I, I just am disgusted. Everybody associated with this president seems to be corrupt, despicable, a criminal. It's, it's unbelievable. They're the best people. The best people. Congressman and Chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, wrote an open letter to his Republican colleagues last week that appeared in the Washington Post opinion page. I'd like to read a little bit of it for you. This is a moment of great peril for our democracy. Our country is deeply divided. Our national discourse has become coarse, indeed poisonous. Disunity and dysfunction have paralyzed Congress. Um, For the past two years, we've examined Russians, Russia's interference in the 2016 election and its attempts to influence the 2018 midterms. Uh, Then he goes on and then he says, but the attack on our democracy had its limits. Russian President Vladimir Putin could not lead us to distrust our own intelligence agencies or the FBI. He could not cause us to view our own free press as an enemy of the people. He could not undermine the independence of the Justice Department or denigrate judges. Only we could do that to ourselves. Although many forces have contributed to the decline in public confidence in our institutions, one force stands out as an accelerant, like a gas like gas on a fire, and try as some of us might to avoid invoking the arsonist's name, we must say it. I speak, of course, of our president Donald Trump. The president has just declared a national emergency to z- to subvert the will of Congress and appropriate billions of dollars for a border wall that Congress has explicitly refused to fund. Whether you support the border wall or oppose it, you should be deeply troubled by the president's intent to obtain it through a plainly unconstitutional abuse of powers. Now, this is the part that I find very troubling. He says... Many of you have acknowledged your deep misgivings about the president in quiet conversations over the past two years. You have bemoaned his lack of decency, character, and integrity. You have deplored his fundamental inability to tell the truth. But for reasons that are all too easy to comprehend, you have chosen to keep your misgivings and your rising alarm private. That must end. The time for silent disagreement is over. You must speak out. Uh, He then goes on to say, if we cannot rise to the defense of our democracy now in the face of a plainly unconstitutional aggrandizement of presidential power, what hope can we have that we will do so with the far greater decisions that could yet be, be yet to come? And then he ends with, Um, If Abraham Lincoln, the father of the Republican Party, could be hopeful that our bonds of affection would be strained but not broken by a war that pitted brother against brother, surely America can come together once more. But as long as we must endure the present trial, history compels us to speak and act our conscience, Republicans and Democrats alike. Thank you, Adam Schiff. You are one of the only reasons that I continue to be able to get any sleep in this hideous Trump administration. And now for your tweet of the week. The first tweet of the week comes from actor George Takei, who said, Trump and Pence are both out of the country. This is about the only time I'd be in favor of a big, tall wall around us. <laughs> Thank you, George. The second tweet of the week comes from New York Times bestselling author Seth Abramson, who says, It's eminently reasonable to say that anyone who supports Trump is forbidden from complaining about anyone lying about anything ever until the end of time. Well said. Here's a little
0: bonus on the lighter side. Today, Trump, the Trump Organization asked the House Judiciary Committee to cease investigations related to it because they hired an outside lawyer whose firm has represented Trump's company.
1: Ha!
0: Talk about taking a rule out of the Trump playbook. It kind of reminds you of how Trump, let's see, appointed a climate change denier to head the EPA, oh appointed a billionaire champion of for-profit schools to head the Department of Education, Mm. appointed the CEO of fast food chains who scorns the thought of a living minimum wage to be Secretary of Labor, appointed someone who'd made billions off of the housing bubble to be Treasury Secretary, Mm. and a declared foe to Obamacare, Planned Parenthood, Medicare, and Medicaid to lead the Department of Health and Human Services. A Trump organization lawyer wrote to House Judiciary Committee Chairman, Representative Gerald Nadler, on its hiring of Barry Burke of the law firm Kramer Levin, saying, quote, this state of affairs violates recognized ethical obligations and irreparably taints the committee's work and requires that the committee cease and desist from any and all activities that are adverse to the company, End quote. Referring, of course, to the Trump organization. Now, that would be funny. If the truth of the hypocrisy behind it weren't so tragic for the rest of us. But the Trump Organization best be careful taking the high road, as it's a long way to fall when you go careening off the shoulder. Unfortunately for the rest of us, before we start licking our chops at the prospect of karma biting the Trump Organization in its ass, it should be noted that, quote, None of the work the firm has done for Trump's company is related to the work that Burke will be doing for the committee and that no lawyer at the firm is working on any Trump-affiliated matter, end quote. Oh. Damn.
1: Let's get local. Let's get local. The Washington Post reports, Wild Session wraps in Virginia. Virginia lawmakers worked through blackface scandals and sexual assault allegations to achieve some legislative accomplishments, including bipartisan agreement on incentives for the massive Amazon headquarters project in Arlington County, a plan to clean up coal ash ponds around the state, a law raising the legal age uh, to buy tobacco products to 21 from 18, and for pay raises for teachers and other public employees. Efforts to pass the ERA and extend discrimination protections to LGBTQ members of the community, which initially seemed to have broad support, foundered in the end. The GOP also blocked bills to raise the minimum wage and tighten gun laws and restrict the use of fossil fuels. Republicans hold two-seat majorities in both the House of Delegates and the State Senate. All seats are up for grabs in the election this November. There was a lot of noise about a bill that Delegate Kathy Tran put forward to loosen restrictions on third-term abortions. With Republicans claiming it would enable infanticide. And even accusing Governor Ralph Northam, a pediatrician, of endorsing infanticide. Um, A reminder, there have been two, is it two or three, third-term abortions since the year 2000. I think it's three. Okay. Three people. That's what all the fuss is about. So why are we voting this November in the state of Virginia? Redistricting. It is very important that we get the majority because although the thing passed for redistricting to happen, it still has to go through the legislative body or whatever the heck. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this election will be crucial. Minimum wage. Guns. Abortion rights and uh, protections for the LGBTQ community are at stake. And ratifying the ERA. Amen. So these are important issues that are just getting lost with the GOPs. So please, people, we need to vote. We need to support candidates and and do what we can. All righty. Let's go. And now. Introducing the candidates who will enter the ring to go whoop Trump's ass in 2020. Woo! Woo!
0: This week, we're dedicating this space to not introduce two new candidates, but to revisit one we've already introduced. In truth, I could have used a different intro. This one.
1: And now, a bit of moralizing and lecturing. Before I begin what will be a rant about verbal and emotional abuse and the stories about Amy Klobuchar, I would like to acknowledge that uh, I have seen that there was an open letter to the editors printed today from former staffers saying that when they were contacted by the New York Times to share our experiences, Unfortunately, the positive anecdotes and stories we experienced have not been fully reported. We do not believe these reports adequately describe our thoughts on Amy Klobuchar, many of which were shared with the authors uh, so that is very nice i'm very pleased to hear it white news I really am okay, so let me be clear i i, I don't want to think badly of. Democratic candidates. But what I am deeply disturbed by is what seems to be an overwhelming response from folks on the left to say, we don't want to hear it, shut it all down. There can be no discussion. And that this is all misogyny, that we're talking about Amy Klobuchar, and why aren't we talking about men who are horrible bosses? And what's the big deal? So what? She's a bitch. Who cares? Be quiet. Be quiet. Be quiet. And I will not be quiet. Do not be quiet. Because I think it is very important that as we go through the primary process, one of the things that should be happening, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, in a primary process, is a deeper dive into the issues of a candidate's character. Right of how do they handle power and authority? Mm -hmm. That's right. How do they handle times of stress? And that is why I have found the stories about her to be very relevant. Right. And to dismiss all the stories about her as she's a tough boss, what's the big deal? Let me tell you something. In my daytime job, I am a therapist. Right. What disturbs me is understanding the difference between someone who's tough And someone who behaves in a way to humiliate and degrade people. Right. I'm not saying that's how she always is. Clearly not. But there are troubling stories that have come out about her. Mm -hmm. And to dismiss them all like they are in the same category as, uh, you know, this one's playlist or how this one's eating fried chicken does us all a disservice. Right. We've got to be able to critically assess people. The good, the bad, what's happening here, what's happening there?
0: One doesn't mean the other. Just because someone is tough doesn't mean that they are necessarily abusive. There are other examples of tough congressmen and senators and executives who are not abusive. Nancy Pelosi comes to mind. She's a famously tough representative. Right. But where are the stories of the abuse that she hurls at her
1: staff? I haven't heard any. And I haven't heard any about Hillary. And God knows if there were stories like this about Hillary, we all would have heard them by now. Ad nauseum. Didn't hear them. Nope. Now, now, uh, there's an interesting uh, article, too, uh, from—and I can't think of his first name—McFall. He was the Russian um, expert or ambassador uh, to Russia in the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. And anyway, he actually posted something interesting, which said— um, I'm trying to be clear myself. Obama could be tough. He sometimes would get mad at me. He mm-hmm. sometimes would raise his voice at me. But that seems different than... Hurling a binder? Hurling a binder or phones, putting someone down, yelling at people in Publicly. front of other people, right, and talking about them being stupid or inadequate or the worst job you've ever seen, these kinds of things. Right. So I'd like to read something that, that uh, I found, which was uh, posted in Forbes magazine. And this is the president of tremendous leadership, Tracy Jones. And she was talking about the tough boss gives constructive criticism. The bullying boss gives uh, destructive criticism. Mm. It all centers on the motives of your boss. A tough boss will insist that you work hard and give your best effort and submit high-quality work all the time. They will also insist you abide by workplace norms, such as dress code and other organizational policies. Their goal is to speak truth in love so that you can be the best version of yourself. They also expect a healthy level of self-discipline, self-awareness, and self-restraint on the part of the individual. On the other hand, an abusive or bullying boss deliberately provides you with false or misleading information, humiliates you in public, calls you demeaning names, puts the blame on you, and treats you like a servant. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the uh, and I read another article that talked about the toxic work environment, um, and and that this kind of bullying behavior, and. T- high turnover of staff can be indicative right. of, of that kind of situation. So I think it's really important because everything I've seen just comes back to, so she's tough. What's the big deal? I want us to be really clear right. on the difference between tough and verbal and emotional abuse. Right. And let's also be mindful of what, where we are in this process.
0: It is a primary we are evaluating the candidates against each other. There are many factors on which we should be evaluating them. And if we have not learned by now, we never will. But character does count.
1: Yes. And being a bully is what we've all spent the past two years saying we were disgusted with. Right. Okay. So I don't want to hear from people like, well, because this is what it sounds like to me. Republicans said, as soon as Trump was a nominee, okay, well, we don't care. It's better than a Democrat. It's better than that Hillary. Mm-hmm. We don't care what he's done. We don't care what kind of stories come out about him. We don't care. All we care about is getting our judges and getting our uh, religious freedoms and whatever else our agenda is. Our big tax break. We don't care what story we hear about Trump. That is exactly what I've heard from people on the left this week. Right. I don't care. We don't want to hear it. We're not having it. It's too much uh, focus on women. Fine. That might be true. Uh It is true. Let's be frank. But we should be encouraging Uh a full airing of the issues. And it is an issue how someone handles power and authority.
0: That's right. And you know what? We have, no, we've not eradicated misogyny in national politics, but we've certainly already come a long way just from 2018 when Hillary was the only candidate, female candidate. 16. 16, pardon me. And she was certainly subject to misogynistic tendencies. And one of the things that she called out and was ignored about was how our current president is temperamentally unfit to serve that office. Mm -hmm. We would be doing her... A grave disservice by once again ignoring that call to have temperamental fitness as a standard by which we evaluate our candidates. Yes. And the thing about Klobuchar that does make me nervous is that the type of uh, behavior that she's exhibited towards her staff strikes me as somebody who is not certain of themselves, not sure of themselves in their position that they would feel the need to lash out.
1: Well, I don't know that we can make assumptions about what her motivation is. I mean, you're making assumptions. I I don't know that any of that is true. What we do know is that these reports are out here and they deserve to be heard and listened to. And the number of people who have said, oh, well, you know, it's just 20-somethings, they don't have a work ethic, or, oh, well, you know, who are these people anyway? We can't dismiss... Just like we can't dismiss the accusations against Trump, we should not be a- ignoring and sh- shutting down accusations against uh, uh, our candidates. Right, right. And, you know, if if,
0: if we haven't learned anything from this uh, recent, uh, what is the guy's name, um, S- Smollett, yes. the, the guy in Chicago, yes. if we've not learned from that, that... Accusations need to be taken seriously. They don't necessarily need to be believed without question, but they need to be taken seriously and investigated.
1: Taken seriously. And I want to say one other thing, because I've seen lots of reports about, oh, why are we talking about Amy Klobuchar eating her salad with a fork, uh, with a comb? That is not the relevant part of the story. The part of the story that is relevant is not, I don't give a damn what she eats her salad with. The fact was, was that her aide forgot a fork. Okay, that sucks. It happens. She ate the salad, whatever the hell she did. And then she looked at him and said, clean it. That's what I'm talking about. That's what's relevant. How are you treating people? How are you treating these 20-somethings who are working under you? That has relevance to me. If it has relevance to nobody else, good for you all. But fortunately, we have a lot of candidates coming up uh, on the Democratic side. I don't think it's too much to ask that we not have another bully in the White House. right? And yes, yes, I know. That's probably not all there is to her. Fine. But maybe there's another candidate who doesn't behave this way.
0: Plus, I'm just looking for a candidate who, when confronted about something that is found to be Mm. troubling, they embrace it and ask for a time to reflect on it yeah. and maybe down the road we'll come back and surprise us with saying, you know, I've processed that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I take you at your word. Right. It's important to me. What is important to you?
1: Right. How about you don't just dismiss it. And this is what I didn't like. Well, you know, yes, I'm hard on people. I'm tough. No, you're not hearing these people who left your office crying, who felt like they better make sure they had copies of emails because they didn't know what was going to happen to them when they left your employment. Uh, How about taking a breather and not just excusing and minimizing your bad behavior? That's what I'd like to see in the next president, not more of the same bullshit we've had with this president, who nothing is his problem and nothing is his fault, and everybody just deal with it. That's right. No, thank you. Not looking for that. Done with it. Okay. I know we're going on and on, but I feel, as I'm putting on my therapist hat right now, and I think it's really important to lend some education to this topic here of Abuse in the workplace. So, I found an article. Signs your boss is abusive. What you need to watch for are certain behavior traits that are signs of an abusive boss. Um, okay. Demeaning behavior. It is uncalled for in any way, shape, or form to excuse the belittling or humiliating of another human being. Your boss has no right to yell at you in front of others or behind closed doors. Yelling should never be tolerated. Talking to you disrespectfully or in condescending ways or verbally trying to undermine your confidence should also be strictly prohibited. Whether your boss is in a bad mood or not doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter what they think you might have done. There is no excuse. Those who take pleasure out of making others feel degraded do so to achieve a sense of empowerment or superiority. This goes to your point. Uh, This often stems from deep-rooted insecurities. We don't know what the case is with her. Anyway, also demeaning others around you. Be aware when your boss demeans other people who aren't present. It's a bad sign if they're constantly bad-mouthing your coworkers or previous employees when they talk to you. Um, And then high turnover of staff. If there's a high turnover of staff... This is a sign that there's an abusive boss and or toxicity in the workplace. I would say that's a sign. It doesn't mean that it necessarily is. Um, so those are some things I think people should be aware of. The difference between tough and abusive. Right. Thank you very much. And that's all for this week. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next week and tell all your left-leaning, but not very active friends about us. This has been a Common Production.